you're online. Good to have you with us. Thanks for tuning in. Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jesse, and I'm part of the pastoral team. Uh, and uh, just want to mention a couple things as we get ready uh, to hear uh, a great message from a guest speaker we have from uh, Marietta Bible Church and uh, down in Southern California. Robert shared uh, with us the last couple days uh, in a family seminar and parenting and stuff. It was really great. So good food, good time together. If you don't have a Bible this morning, um, just raise your hand. One of the ushers will give you one. And as I told the first service, if you don't have a Bible, uh, if you don't own a Bible and you want one for free, by all means, take this. If you want a nicer one, there's a few in the, uh, the uh, lost and found in the back to, to my right, your left. Feel free to grab some of those. There's some great leather ones, and uh, there's a few with someone else's name on it, but, you know, whatever. They're nice. And if you want a brand new one, you can buy one in the bookstore if you don't want the, the free one. Um, let me just uh, say a couple things here to uh, keep you mindful of. Anyone know what's happening next week? It's Easter. Yeah, Easter. So we're doing two things for uh, Easter weekend. Uh, the first one is Good Friday. We're doing a Good Friday service, so I'd love to have you here for that service. It's going to be an enjoyable time. We're going to do some worship and, and some teaching and reflecting uh, and communion. So please join us uh, next week at Good Friday. And then Sunday, I'm really looking forward to Easter. Easter is a great time to invite people who are seeking out what Christianity is and what it is all about. And, um, and I get to actually preach two people in a room on Easter, and I'm looking forward to that because, uh, yeah, that's going to be great. So here's uh, what I'm going to let you know. So how many of you are excited about us moving to outdoor church again? A few of you excited about that? Okay. All right, good. It's good to know that we're making good decisions. So here's what's happening at our church. Uh, many of you are probably really aware of it. We're going to probably move outside in June. Uh, we got our tent. We purchased that last year. We're going to purchase a couple other things that are going to make the outdoor venue uh, a little bit more user-friendly, if you will. And here's where we're at with uh, Sierra Bible Church. Okay, it's, it's an exciting time. It's great. Um, we're going to lose some parking when we do that. And I don't know if you have, you've noticed, we already have a huge parking issue in this service. It's an issue even in the first service, but it's more so, much more so in this service. So here's kind of what we're asking. We're, we're actually trying to build some relationships with businesses next door to do some overflow parking. We have all of our volunteer base. They park along the dirt road here. Um, Caleb's house is actually at the bottom of the dirt road. You can park there if you want. That's totally acceptable. Um, and everywhere in Truckee has a parking issue. I don't, I don't, like everywhere. Like they built Rayleigh's, right? Beautiful building, no parking. Like seriously, people park here and then go shop at Rayleigh's. So here's what we're gonna ask you that, that this is your church and you love this church and this is your home church, and, and here, here's always the fear behind a growing church, okay? The fear is you get to a point, and you go, oh my gosh, the room's so full, full. we're doing so good, and you become almost like, like numb to the idea of the, of the reality that more people need to know Jesus. Do you know that? More people need to worship Jesus, and we want to fit more people. One of the reasons we're going outside is because we don't have room in here any longer. That is part of it. It's also because you keep telling me you like it so much, and I felt peer pressure, and so we're going to do it. Um, now, if this is your church, and you're like, I want to see more people come, and I don't want the parking lot to be a deterrent for a visitor, we are going to ask you, go park somewhere else, okay? Um, where, I don't care where you park. You can walk. Uh, you can literally park at Rayleigh's and walk over here. We're okay. We're looking into even shuttling. All, we're, seriously, we're trying to like figure all this out. Here's the other two other things we're, we're starting to want to communicate to you. If you can carpool, do it. 
we're not saying to save the environment. We love the environment. That's great. But if you can carpool, please do it. If you have an e-bike, it's getting warm enough, and you're in Glenshire, you have an e-bike, and, and you don't want a bicycle because you don't like exercise, you can turn that little electrical machine on. That's what I'm going to do in the summertime. I got an e-bike last year. I'm going to be e-biking to church just to save a parking space. So please, could you be mindful of that? And, and I know it's, it's, not, it's not for you. We love you, and we want you here. We want you comfortable, but we want to we see more people come. So, okay? You guys with me on that? All right. All right. Park at Rayleigh's. Dude, I would love a phone call from Rayleigh's. Hey, we have a problem. We have no parking because your church is parking. At... Could you not do that? That would be so cool. That would be so cool. Such a great problem. Um, and, and, uh, and one other thing, Laura Osnes is going to come up. Laura, where are you at? She's teaching a Bible study. She wants to give you a quick promo, uh, and then we'll dive in into the Word. Yeah. Woo! And that leads me to say, sign up for our newsletter. I literally forgot to have her come up in the first service. Sign up for our newsletter because everything's in there. Nothing's forgotten. Uh, go to the website, sbctrucky.com. Do, pull, fill it out in your bulletin. Just do all the things we tell you to do. You'll be fine. Okay? All right. Good morning, church. My name is Laura. Um, I just wanted to um, remind you ladies, this is a women's Bible study, about a new one we have starting, if you look in your bulletin, um, First Peter. Um, we meet on Tuesday mornings, 9.30 to 11 a.m., um, and this one is starting April 6th, so the Tuesday after Easter next week, um, um, and we do have childcare. So for all of you young moms who need a place to put your kids, this is, this is the one. Let me tell you just really quickly what First Peter is about. And I think you'll think that it's very similar to today. Um, Peter was writing to a church um, that was facing um, a time when Christianity was very unpopular. Christians even seemed antisocial um, or subversive. writing to them to try to counteract all these pressures and to motivate these new Christians and churches to an ongoing commitment to Christ um, and simultaneously instruct them on how to live as a new quote-unquote family. Um, And that's what I wanted to kind of tell you is that this Bible study, this group of women, we have women who are younger, women who are older, women who are young moms, women who are older moms, grandmas, um, and they are my family. The church has become my true family. Um, And so if you need that, which let me tell you, you do. Um, It doesn't have to be this Bible study that you come to, but please find a group to connect with and plug in and get involved. Um, If you want to get a book, they're in the bookstore. Thank you. We ran out of batteries, so um, we're on top of things around here. Uh, last thing, Caleb, uh, you know, we're doing uh, a dance for the kids. It's, it's basically a prom. We were trying not to call it prom, but everyone keeps calling it prom. So our, our, church, is put, our church is putting on a prom because uh, the school doesn't want to do prom. So we're doing prom for the kids. Um, 
Everyone will stand a Bible length apart, I promise. The, um, <laughs> and I will be there to ensure that that is the case. The, the, yeah, it will be a study Bible, yes. Yeah. Literally walking around with it. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Caleb is looking for individuals to make appetizers. If you don't know who Caleb is, he's our youth pastor. He's standing in the back right here. Uh, connect with him, um, and uh, we're, we're trying to make sure we put a great event on for the kids. So uh, with that said, um, Robert Dotson was introduced to me from uh, one of our elders, John uh, Drawlinger. He was up the last couple days doing a parenting seminar for our parents, which was a tremendous event the last couple days, uh, and I've asked him to share uh, on family and, and with us this morning. And so would you please welcome Robert Dotson as he shares from the Word of God this morning. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. And I heard, though, by the way, the batteries, they tried to run across the street to Rayleigh's to get the batteries, and they wouldn't sell them to them because of the parking situation. So what a joy to be here. Praise God, by the way, that you are meeting. Um, man, the church needs to gather. Am I right? I'm blown away. If you haven't read it, you know, the world's talking about us being a pandemic, um, Read the book, The Great Influenza, talking about the Spanish flu. That was a pandemic. This is a flu. And the church in the Spanish, in the, in the Great Influenza, didn't meet for three weeks. And then they were full bore. And I thought, you know what? The Lord is in this. The Lord is good. We are called to gather and praise God for all of you. I'm so excited to be here. Um, Jesse had said, uh, I go to a church. It's called Faith Bible Church uh, in the Temecula Marietta area. If you're ever down there, come visit us. Uh, it's, a, it's Southern California. We have really nice weather. It's not as pretty as Truckee. Um, I have to be honest. We kind of have nice brown hills and other things. But the nice thing is we don't have a building uh, at our church. Uh, we're praying and hoping that we're moving dirt. We have some property next month. And then, uh, Lord willing, about a year from now, we'll be on our property. So we had met in a school forever. And as the pandemic hit, they wouldn't allow us to meet there. So we have been meeting all year outside in a football stadium at our local high school. So we made it all winter in, the, in an outdoor stadium, but being in SoCal, we can make that work. It, we, I don't think you guys could have pulled that off here. So, no, but good to be here. I had a wonderful time at the parenting conference. Uh, just a joy to be here. Uh, my wife and I, Tracy, have been married 31 years. Uh, we're blessed with five children Two of them are now married, and we have two grandchildren, two granddaughters, and I can just tell you, grandparents agree with me, grandparenting is the greatest thing I have ever done, hands down. It's, so listen, you young families with your grand, get, get to it. We want more kids, am I right? <laughs> listen, I got saved at the age of 18. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and when I got saved, the trajectory of my life changed like it would for anybody who came to Christ. Instead of living for me, I was now living for Christ. And, and I, at that time, looked at my family. I looked at my parents, and I looked at my grandparents, and I realized that there, were, there was no Christian legacy or heritage that I could look up at. I was the first believer in my family, the first one that got saved. And I thought a lot about this, and I, I couldn't wait at that time to be a grandpa and I used to think about it all the time because I wanted to look down and see, Lord willing, children and grandchildren that were following Christ. I didn't have a legacy above me, and I just wanted that day to have a legacy beneath me. 
It's funny, Tracy and I were first married, and I would often talk to her about being a grandpa one day, and we didn't even have kids yet. And she would look at me like, let's slow down. Let's have kids first. And I almost wanted to get through that time to get grandkids, right? So, but we enjoyed every moment of that. And this is what I thought about. Listen, as we started to have kids, I started to think about the generations before me and now generations that came after me. And I thought about this. I can touch my grandparents, right? I knew who my grandparents were. I knew what they were like. We spent time with them as a family. Um, and, and I hope, Lord willing, I now have two grandkids that I, I'm able to touch. I pray that God gives me life here on earth such that I can have whatever impact I can have on my grandkids and maybe even great-grandkids. I don't know how much my great-grandkids will ever remember me though, right? And I, and I just began to think a lot about the fact that my kids, as we started to have them, had no idea who my grandparents were. And they might have seen pictures, maybe an old family video, but my kids don't know my grandparents. They just don't know them. And here's my point. When Tracy and I die, with us go any and all memories of our grandparents. They weren't famous. They will have no one remember them. And the reality is none of us will be remembered in history. In 100 years, if the Lord tarries, no one will have any idea who Robert Dodson is. They won't know what I did for a living, what my hobbies were, the home I lived in, what my personality was like. Ecclesiastes 1, 4, and 11 says this very thing. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. There is no remembrance of earlier things and also the later things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. Think of the millions or billions of people that have walked this planet. I, I, I was thinking in preparation for this message, all the people that lived in the 500s. I don't even know what happened in the 500s. You have the 700s, the 1200s, whatever they were. I know little of history, but I know nothing of those people. And the reality is that none of us do. So our, our challenge this morning is what is our legacy? What is our legacy? We're going to look at Psalm 145 together this morning. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 145. And while you're turning there, David is coming to the end of his life. This is his final psalm. This is David's legacy. And it is a great truth for us to shoot for as our legacy. So once you're there, Psalm 145, I'm going to read through that. And then we'll pray. But let's read together. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. 
The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save him, save them. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we open your word that, Father, we would come humbly before it, that, Lord, you would uh, just pierce our hearts, that we would see the truth from this passage, that, Lord, we would see you in a different light, that we would see your greatness through this psalm, and that, Father, it would cause us to live differently, that it would cause us to live passionately for you, and cause us, Father, to declare all these great things to those around us and to the next generation. We pray that you would speak through our time this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Listen, psalms were sacred psalms or poems used in worship. These were meant to be sung and expressions of the heart made in the spirit of worship. This is the final psalm that is attributed to David. It is the last of the alphabetical or acrostic psalms in which each verse begins with consecutive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. One man said, the psalm here offers praise from A to Z to God described from A to Z. The title of this psalm is David's Psalm of Praise. Charles Spurgeon said of Psalm 145, it is David's, David's very own, David's favorite. It is David's praise just as Psalm 86 is David's prayer. It is altogether praise and praise pitched in a high key. David had blessed God in many a time in other Psalms, but this he regarded as his peculiar, his crown jewel of praise. Think about David, one of the most successful men that has ever walked this planet, right? We talk about us not being remembered. Everybody in, in, most of people in the world know who David was. If anyone had reason to boast or reflect on a life well-lived, it would be David, a lowly shepherd boy who became king of Israel, a skilled musician, so much so that he was brought to play before the king, a mighty warrior. Isn't it amazing? The world knows David and Goliath. Secular people know David and Goliath, the greatest single one-on-one battle in history. Am I right? David was a part of that. Should have never won and defeated a giant. He was known as a man after God's own heart. He ushered in the greatest period in the history of Israel. David could have recounted his accomplishments, but instead we see a life that was devoted to praise. And that is our first point, a life devoted to praise. And we're going to look at verses one through three in this section. The first thing we see about David's life devoted to praise is his resolve to praise as a subpoint under number one if you take an outline. David's resolve to praise. Look at verse one. I will extol you, my God, O king. David was resolved to praise. Notice the emphatic I will here. This was a choice he made exerting his will over any thoughts or feelings he might have otherwise. Extol means to lift up or to praise. He is his God and personal, but he is also the king we see in this verse. The word melech, king, occurs more than 2,000 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. Generally, it designates one invested with ultimate authority and power over his subjects. What's so cool about this verse is David was king, yet he knew who the real king was, right? David is showing his allegiance to God. David is acknowledging that God is king and he, David, is his subject. What a humbling thing for a man to say who was the most powerful person in his world, right? The passage goes on, and I will bless your name forever and ever. 
The word bless is a deepening and sweetening of the sense of praise. To bless God is to praise him with a personal affection for him and a wishing well to him. It is to speak words of excellence about. Again, notice he says here, I will bless. He was determined to do so. Our blessing God is a full one forever into eternity. David forbids an idea of it ever ending by adding another ever. Our praise of God shall be as eternal as the God that we praise. If what we're going to do is worship God in heaven for eternity, shouldn't be, that be what marks us today? I remember when I was younger, I wasn't saved, but I was brought up around Christian things. I went to a Christian school um, and all of this stuff, and I, and I used to think about heaven, and I used to think about God as a young person. I, I remember thinking all the time, listen, I don't want to go to hell. That seemed bad. But I'd watch things and my thoughts on heaven were just off. Like, right, if you're my era, we would watch cartoons. And when somebody died, we'd see them go up and they'd have little angel wings and they'd sit on a cloud and they'd give them a harp and it would be prum, prum for eternity. And I remember as a young kid thinking, that's okay. I guess that's better than going to hell, right? But is heaven really that great. And as I became a Christian, I remember even thinking still, I enjoyed singing in church, but I, was, I knew that's not what heavenly worship would be like. I would often try to imagine what heavenly worship would be like to somehow explain that to my heart and to youth that I was beginning to teach at the time. I think I used to think and try and relate it to things. I, I had the privilege, I grew up in Southern California, I was a Laker fan, and I went to a playoff game, Lakers-Celtics, Michael Cooper hit a game-winning shot, and we were in the fabulous forum back in the day, and the place erupted. And I remember the cheer, the chills, the enthusiasm, thinking, wow. And I remember leaving there thinking, I wonder if that's a closer realm to what heaven would be. What's amazing about that, it's better than a cloud with a harp, is it not? But multiply that really times infinity. That joy, that exuberance is what heavenly praise will be like, but with God and for all of eternity. You know, it's amazing. We go over a year, and I was talking to Wayne at Between Services. The crew of you were going to go to the Shepherds Conference uh, from the leadership of this church. We, our church, we go to the Shepherds Conference down in Southern California every year. We take about 50 men every year and, and go to this conference. Amazing teaching. There's breakout groups. The church serves you like you could never imagine. It's an incredible experience. But you ask any man at our church that has gone to Shepherd's Conference, what is the greatest thing you experience? What is the takeaway? And to a man, they will say the worship. You know why? We're in an auditorium of 4,000 men, men, and the singing starts, and these are pastors that love the Lord. Everybody is singing so loud. I'm singing at the top of my voice, and I can't hear myself. And the song ends, and it's just this chills and just awe. And that is a glimpse, folks, of what heaven is going to be like. Listen, worshiping is what God made us to do. John 4.23 says, But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. True believers worship God now and will for all of eternity. Listen, if you ever find yourself downcast or discontent or complaining Whatever you are going through, we need to be resolved to praise in the midst of that. 
If you find yourself consumed with yourself, life is about you. Take your eyes off yourself and be resolved to praise. Read the Psalms. Memorize songs based on the Psalms. When your will wants to relish in its problems, when praise is not something we want to do, we must overcome how we feel and direct our hearts in praise to God. Like David resolved to praise his Lord, so must we. And then it goes to verse 2. The second subpoint is trusting praise. Trusting praise. It says there, every day I will bless you. I love this phrase. Whatever the circumstances of the day, whether good or bad, whatever the conditions, I will bless him. Again, to praise him with a personal affection for him. It is not most days. It is not many days. It is every day. There is never a time, a season, a circumstance where we cannot praise the Lord. We think we have difficult circumstances. David many times was being hunted to be killed. Psalm 27.2 says this, When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh. Now listen, I've had hard days. <laughs> I haven't had a day in my life where evildoers were coming to devour my flesh. This is what David lived in, and he goes on. My adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me, in spite of all this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord. And you know what's amazing? He doesn't ask for God to get rid of these people. Here's his one thing that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Listen, even in the worst of days, if we were to consider all that we have in a day, a God who saved us, loves us, and wants what is best for us, take our eyes off our circumstances, and we have much to praise God for. Amen? We need to be resolved to praise. We need to have a trusting praise. And third subpoint, great praise. Look at verse 3. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. Listen, great praise for a great God. Great here means remarkable or out of the ordinary in degree, magnitude, or effect. Every day should be filled not just with praise to God, but great high praise to God. Highly here means abundantly, immense, exceedingly, so much, or I love the word muchness. Our Lord is great. He is worthy to be praised highly. This is so convicting going through a passage like this because, listen, I, I work in a normal job, and right, you can go hours, can't you, getting caught up in, in work, and you just don't even think about the Lord for hours on end, and you just get going in the complacency of life, and we take our eyes off of who God is, but we need to constantly throughout the day thinking all that we do is in praise of who he is. The Psalms were written to help us remember and lead us to praise throughout the day. They are great truths set to music. Do you sing the worship songs you sing here on Sunday in your heart all throughout the week? Do you listen to Christian music to fill your mind with praise? Praise is to happen all throughout the day, but our worship on Sunday should be especially great. It was so good singing with you this morning and so good hearing you. And I'll tell you, the room was full and there was good singing, but I'm telling you, it could be greater because there are a handful of you in here that aren't singing like you could and should. And there's multiple reasons why. You know what I found most of the time? People are quiet because they think, I don't have a good voice and I can't sing. Can I just encourage you? God made you with your voice. Did he not? He's not in heaven 
wanting only those with good voices to sing praises to him. Find me a verse in Scripture that says, praise him, you who can actually sing. It doesn't exist. I love my brother-in-law as a dear friend and a, and a pastor and loves the Lord with all of his heart. He's an amazingly gifted preacher. That dude cannot sing to save his life. He is tone deaf. He's off key. He sounds like that bird on Little Mermaid. You know, that wah, 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 whatever. But I tell you what, you stand next to that man, he sings his heart out. And you know what's amazing? He doesn't sound good. He sounds terrible. He doesn't care. It's not about what you think of him. He's praising his God. And that's what we were meant to do. My prayer is that worship here would be all of you, full hearts, coming before the Lord, singing to him in praise, not worrying about what others think about you. You know why? It's a reflection of our hearts. It says here, great is the Lord and highly to be praised. Prior to gathering, we need to be ready to praise. We need to, as individuals, before we come to church, confess sin. We need to meditate prior to this service on God and who he is. And we need to be ready for corporate singing. You've heard the phrase a bazillion times probably. Worship on Sunday begins when? Saturday Okay, so that's a big phrase at our church. Maybe not so big here. Worship on Sunday starts Saturday night, right? So if, if you're late and you stay up late and now you're tired, you're sleeping in, listen, we need to start getting our hearts ready Saturday night to come to corporate worship because this is not about us. It's about God's people collectively coming together to worship him. If our hearts are not right, you know what's amazing? Look what the Lord says in Amos chapter 5, verse 21. It says this, I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your failings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. When our hearts are not right, it is noise to the Lord. He doesn't want it. Get your hearts ready as we come before the Lord. And now look at verse 3 as he, as he continues on. And it says here, His greatness is unsearchable. I love the word in some translations it says his greatness is unfathomable. A fathom was your, the length between two outstretched arms, about six feet, and they would tie knots in a rope, right? It was a nautical term. You've heard the depths of the sea being measured in fathoms. They would, they, so when you look at this verse, when you're trying to discover the greatness of God, you can have a rope of infinity with knots and continue to let it out. You will never hit rock bottom. Do you understand that? God is so great, this side of heaven, our minds will never comprehend all of who God is. He is way beyond our finite minds, and there is so much for us to know as people. We need to study. We need to learn. We need to do all of this to learn more of who this God is. We live so much of our lives in boredom or complacency. We don't think on God and his greatness enough. When you go to read the Bible in a quiet time, ponder the scriptures, pray, Read until you are in awe and wonder of who God is. Every message that we hear, we can learn from. Find a truth that is new to you. Sing, uh, see the failings in your life that need to be addressed in light of that message. There is so much to learn. We have not arrived. God is so far above and beyond us. Do you ever think about the fact that we're talking about God? Just dwell on that for a second. We all say, boy, we believe in God. We love God. A being bigger than the universe we live in. Uh, my, I mean, my mind, can, uh, okay, 
We're sitting here today on a ball of matter flying through space at 67,000 miles per hour, and none of you are panicked. (laughs) We're just here. We grow complacent with life and all that God is. Listen, you guys live in an amazing town. Truckee is beautiful. The only negative I've found is it's still in California. But anyways... It is a beautiful city. And listen, I love that there's an outdoor lifestyle that exists here. You need to not get complacent with what's going on and be caught up in your time. Go out and enjoy the wonder of God's creation every time you go outside. It should lead our hearts into praise and who God is. This God, though, is personal. He chose you if you were in Christ before the foundation of the world to be his child. We did nothing to deserve this. You can never learn all there is to know about God. His greatness is unfathomable. Never grow complacent. Never be content where you are at. David didn't do that. He recognized who God was. We need to be a people about learning who this God is as well. My question for you this morning is, David lived a life devoted to praise, right? A resolve, trusting, and great praise. Would that be said about you? And would that be said about me? Is that what you are known for? Or are you known for other things? Are you known for a hobby, a particular sports team, what you do for a living? Could be anything. What is it that you're known for? David, one of the greatest men who ever walked the planet, was known for a life of praise of his God, and so must we be known. I want you to just think for a second. If we were to fast forward to your funeral one day, what would people say about you? What would be the chorus of people lined up to talk about you? Would it be nice guy, kind, loved to ride, loved to ski, or would it be he loved his Lord? And it was obvious. We need to be a people that are devoted to to praise. So then we must come to number two. Point number two is a people devoted to passing it on. Look at verse four. One generation shall praise your works to the next. Folks, here it is. This is our legacy. This is our legacy. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, excuse me, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as the frontals of your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Folks, this is God's design. One generation loving the Lord with all of their heart, full of great praise, and telling the next generation. That's what life is about. I remember when when I first found out that we were adopting Jesse, four of our five kids we adopted, our first one we adopted, and I remember thinking I had to get ready to be a dad. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so I thought, boy, I better learn. I started to look through the Bible, and I was quite honestly underwhelmed with what Scripture had to say about parenting. I was looking for big passages on what it meant to be a mom and and a dad and and how Scripture would direct us. And then I realized this. You know what it is? I need to understand the God of this book, the Bible, with all my heart, follow him, love him, and serve him, and tell my kids all about it. That's it. That's what parenting is. 
We have strong examples in Scripture of failure to warn us. Think about the Israelites, right? You know the story of them coming out of Egypt and doing all that. They came out of Egypt when they were young. They watched their parents fail to take the land. They spent 40 years in the wilderness, just as God had said. They saw manna and quail. They saw water from rocks when needed. They watched that generation that failed all die in the wilderness. Then Joshua leads them into the promised land. There was a scene as they begin to enter the promised land where the priests took the Ark of the Covenant, walked into the Jordan River, and the, wa- the water stopped. So all of Israel, millions of people, could walk through the river. What an amazing thing to watch. Could you imagine that? And, and it's, I think it's a bigger river than the Truckee River. But even if, I mean, imagine that with a wall of water so millions of people could walk through. They witnessed the walls of Jericho and all that God did there. Battle after battle was won. Very little loss of life, and, and they did it. They were amazing. And then we come to the end of Joshua's life in, in chapter 21, 45, and it says this. Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. Amazing generation, am I right? What they accomplished is remarkable. But then we come to Judges, the beginning of Judges, chapter 2, verse 7. And it says this. The people... Serve the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And then we come to verse 10, and it says this. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, listen to this, who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Isn't that remarkable? This amazing generation of Joshua and his peers failed to tell the next generation all that God did. They were so busy doing, they forgot to stop and tell the next generation. Yet scripture gives us encouraging examples as well. Look at in Judges 6.12, it says this, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about? saying, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? What a great testimony of faithfulness to Gideon, right? He was told all about it and was looking for it. It is our job to declare the mighty acts of God to the next generation. We must speak. Look at the words in these verses. One generation shall praise your work to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Scroll down to verse six. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. This is not a quiet, embarrassed conversation. We are to praise, declare, speak, tell, eagerly utter, and shout joyfully to the next generation. In our homes, folks, family devotions need to be a normal part of our home. We must talk to our children about the Lord and where they are at. Spurgeon says this, let us see to it that we praise God before our children and never make them think that his service is an unhappy one. The children's ministry here should be filled with excitement. You know what? Don't go and do a children's class out of drudgery and out of obligation. When those you're modeling to those kids a message, and what are you teaching them? Fill your hearts as you go into children's ministry, the greatness of God, and what a privilege you have to speak it to them. Am I right? What an amazing opportunity. Harry Clay Trumbull, who's Elizabeth Elliot's grandfather, says, Sunday should be the best day, the day for our children most to look forward to. 
This is why youth ministry is so important. The next generation needs to know how great God is, and we need to tell them. This passage tells us we must speak, but it also is clear that God must be the one that saves. God must save. We know this to be true. Look at verses 8 through 13. He says there, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all his works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. And look at verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Dominion there is God's power and authority. Ultimately, it is God who has supreme dominion over all creation, and we trust that God is going to save those whom he's called. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one may boast. Listen, we speak, God sovereignly saves, and we watch the Lord work. The last section here of this psalm gives us a beautiful picture of, of our Lord as we tell them about point number three, which is a God devoted to salvation. I want you to look for, at all that God does for this in these last verses, 14 through 21. I'm going to read them and then read through the passage. Notice, he sustains, he raises up, he gives us our food. His hand is open, ready to satisfy our every desire. He is righteous, he is kind, he is near. He will fulfill the desire, he will hear our cry and he keeps. And you know what's amazing? Who does he do this for? Notice the all and every in all these verses as we read through them. Look at verse 14. The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. He is a good and faithful God. Turn to him in humility and for salvation. I love verse 16. It says, his hand is open. He is not clutching or holding on to things. He is the only thing that can satisfy, which means to fill or meet a want or need. Folks, nothing in this world, that nothing that this world has to offer will ever satisfy. Not money, fame, power, prestige, God alone can truly satisfy. If you are here this morning and don't know Christ, I beg of you, turn to him. Cry out to the Lord in salvation. Acts 2.21 says, And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10.12 and 13 says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, but the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Young people, if you're here this morning, don't follow the pursuit of the world. Follow Christ. If anyone is here this morning has not given their life to Christ, you need to understand that what you do in this life determines your future destiny. There's a solemn warning at the end of verse 20. Look at verse 20. It says this, The Lord keeps all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. You might be thinking, well, I might not be a Christian, but I'm certainly not wicked. The word wickedness here means someone who is characterized by wickedness or sinfulness and godlessness. That's all of us, right? We are all sinners as we approach the God of the universe. God provided a means through Jesus Christ and the cross for you to be saved. 
Your sins can be forgiven if you turn to Christ, recognizing your sinfulness. And it says in Romans, confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, which means to make Christ Lord and master of your life. We become his subjects just like David at the beginning of this psalm. And that verse goes on, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you too shall be saved. Give your life to Christ. Listen in conclusion. Turn to 2 Corinthians 4, 7. You might be here thinking, man, just our, what's the point of our life? It's nothingness. Who are we? And look what the Bible says here. It says this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Earthen vessels in this verse, were, these were jars of clays. They were simple clay pots. They were cheap, breakable, and replaceable. They were important, though, to household functions. They might use them to hold something valuable. But most commonly, what these clay pots were used for was holding garbage and, quite honestly, human waste. The latter is what Paul had in mind here. Paul viewed himself as lowly, common, expendable, and replaceable. That's what we are. We're clay pots. Nothing spectacular about us. Just like I mentioned my grandparents at the beginning, so will we be unspectacular, not remembered, a distant memory, common, expendable, replaceable clay pots. What does this verse say to us, though? But we have this what? We have this what? What is that treasure? It's Christ. It is the gospel. I love this verse. That The second half of the verse says, so the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. By using frail and expendable people, God makes it clear that salvation is the result of his power and not any power his messengers could generate. John MacArthur says, the great power of God overcomes and transcends the clay pot. The messenger's weakness is not fatal to what he does. It is essential. Folks, our legacy is simply following Christ with all of our heart, taking that gospel truth of who Christ is, the greatness of God in Scripture, and passing it on to the next generation. It's what God designed. To end, I just, I'm going to do something a little unique. I'm 50 now. I'm 53. And I think I, get, I am a little bit more unfiltered as a 50-year-old. I just, I'm not afraid to do as many things. I'm going to ask this. If you're 50 and older, don't be embarrassed. It's our age. We're good. I just want you at 50 and over to stand up for a minute. 50 and over, stand up. All right. How cool is that? So we've got a legacy of people here. Can I tell you, those that are standing in my genre here, isn't it true? We have less and less people above us, do we not? Every year that goes by, you're like this. I'm looking at college athletes now going, who are these kids, right? They look so young. We're getting older, folks. Look around you. All these people around you in the room, they need to hear everything you've learned in your life. We need to tell them. We need to talk to them about what Christ has done in our lives and mentor these below us and help them and share with them. They need to hear about the greatness of God. Our time is running out and our time is short. So, all right, you may sit down now. I want this, 25 and under to stand up. 25 and under. The pups. So much of life ahead of them. All right, we got the youth ministry, I think, over here. 
And that's a good thing. Listen, can I encourage you young ones? You just saw all those older folks around here. If you don't know them, you need to get to know them. You know what? You need to spend time with them. You need to ask them questions. You need to see what life was like for them. Allow them to mentor you. And if I can encourage you young ones, pursue Christ with all your heart. There's nothing else that is going to satisfy you in your life. Marry somebody that loves Christ more than you. Don't don't sit there and settle for something. God is so good. He can be trusted. Don't pursue the folly that this world has to offer. Don't give into this world's thinking. Your generation and what's coming up is insane. The beliefs that your generation is bringing into this country is nuts to us 50 and older people. But you know what's crazy? Just like in the book of Esther, God brought all of you into this world at such a time as this. The world is ahead of you. It's an incredible future in front of you. But I can promise you this, that future needs to come by following Christ. And you need to look to these older generations. Don't disdain them. Don't look down on them. They're filled with wisdom and knowledge, and you need to pursue it. All right? You can have a seat. That leaves, by the way, those of you 25 to 50. You know what's amazing about you? You you got the privilege to look up. You need to be discipled, and you have the privilege to look down and begin to disciple. It's a great thing. My final question, what will be your legacy? What will be your legacy? Your job or title, your hobbies, humor, personality, the amount of wealth you accumulate, your sickness, your weakness. We, we folks need to be a people about the kingdom. I hope our legacy is a people full of praise that talk about our great God. I pray that you parents of, of kids are telling them about the Lord and committed to talking to them about what God has done in your life and what he will do. You know what I love sitting here? I looked at the mission statement. You know what's so cool? Follow Jesus, make disciples. I'm sure you guys talk about that all the time. That is not meant for the pastoral staff to do. That is meant for you all to do. Discipleship should be happening everywhere. When you love the Lord, you just work in the lives of people and follow them. Be discipled and disciple in this church. Live this mission. Make that your legacy. Amen? Let me pray. Father, thank you for this time this morning. Lord, we love you and thank you for the work you've done in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you called us to know you. I just pray that Sierra Bible would be a church about the kingdom, that, Lord, all the distractions of life in this world would fall secondary to being kingdom-minded people. I pray that you do a great work here at this church. Father, help us to be individuals that love you, Lord, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us never be satisfied in who we are with you and our knowledge of you. Help us to always increase in that knowledge and help us, Lord, to be faithful to telling it to others and passing it on, Lord. We love you and thank you. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Would you guys stand with us? We're going we're gonna to have some fun with this next song.